This is the Stop Time Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Hopkins, and I'm here to engage you in thought-provoking motivational conversations around practicing the art of living in the moment. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm excited to dig deep and offer insights into embracing who we are and where we are at. So my next guest plays series regular Courtney Thacker on the newly released series reboot of I Know What You Did Last Summer for Amazon Prime. Her Broadway credits include the recent revival of The Rose Tattoo, original cast member of The Humans, Picnic, and The Norman Conquests. She has developed, created, and performed premier leading roles at, among others, Playwrights, Playwrights Horizons, Manhattan Theatre Club, Atlantic Theatre, Roundabout, and has guest starred on TV in numerous things, including uh, Pose for FX, HBO's High Maintenance, CBS's Elementary in Chicago, Med, and NBC. During the pandemic, she recurred on NBC Peacock's original sitcom, Connecting, and um, now is appearing opposite Mark Wahlberg in this fall's feature film, Joe Bell, which looks incredible, by the way. Um, she is currently on tour with Heidi Schreck's award-winning play, What the Constitution Means to Me. And it is with great pleasure that I introduce you all to Miss Cassie Beck. Hi, Cassie. Thank you so much. Hi. So happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, please. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, so, okay. So first of all, I have to say, how cool is it that, that, you know, you're actually touring with live theater? Uh, yes. Incredibly grateful. Uh, we are the only straight play that's on the road uh, for the moment. And, you know, we are going from city to city and I just am thrilled to be welcoming back audiences. It's a great privilege. It's a great honor. It's also super cathartic for me. I mean, it may, it just, it kind of makes me cry even just thinking about when I was, when the pandemic was happening and I was preparing for the part and hoping that we would still get to do it. Eventually um, we were supposed to head out on the road, obviously before the shutdown and then got postponed and postponed. And I kept dreaming of this moment where I got to walk out on stage and say, hello, you know, mm -hmm. it's so good to see you. Yeah. Um, and the first, the very first show that we did, um, the audience was so so enthusiastic that they, I had to stop them from applauding because it had gone, it had gone so long. I think they were just so thrilled to be in a room together and to be back seeing live theater that I, I it really did. It moved me to tears and I had to stop them. And I said, you're going to make me cry. And I haven't even started yet. <laughs> so, wow. You know, let the healing begin in the theater. 100%. It's funny. Cause there's, there's evidence, um, that says we tend to over, what is it? Overestimate the emotional impact of positive life events or anticipate like what it's going to feel like. Talk to me about, you know, what you were expecting, how that differed kind of, I'm so curious about that. Well, I was expecting that moment. I was hoping that it would be, you know, as thrilling as I anticipated. And, and I don't know, maybe this is one of the moments where I didn't over, <laughs> I didn't over expect. And I just, it just feels so so good to be performing again. I think I knew it would, but I underexpected that. I, I I cannot tell you how cathartic and special and and healing it is for me as a performer to be back out there on stage. I'm truly fulfilled and gratified by the idea of taking an audience on a journey. You know, I want that challenge. I want I want them to feel taken care of and acknowledged and seen and galvanized by this. People are tired mm. out there, you know, and fatigued. And 
if we can be a bolt of refreshing energy and some light and some, you know, reassurance that we see you, we know we're tired too, and we're still out here and let's keep going, you know, then we've done our job. Yeah. When you think about the timing of the pandemic and then the timing of the show returning. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, it couldn't be a better time, really. That's how I feel. It's, you know, people, I get asked a lot, why this play now or what's important about it in 2021. This play does what all good plays do. It reaches to the past so we can have some clarity on our present so we can have perspective for the future. Mm. It is a play that is that is asking questions and inviting us to have a relationship and a reexamination with the Constitution and our civic duty and citizenry. You know, what are we as American citizens? No, ab absolutely. It's important. How do you as an actress um, feel differently? Um, does it feel like like a returning or does it feel like a, a renewing an evolved return? How does it like, where does that sit for you energetically? I think a, a renewing and you know, an evolved return for sure. It's completely the same and completely different at the same time. If, you know, I stepped into the rehearsal room, completely familiar and completely different. <laughs> Uh, and I don't really know how to describe it. It's just kind of a surreal, I'm completely comfortable and I know what to do. And yet the protocols are different and our thinking is different in relation to one another. You know, we're more spaced out. You know, we're spitting into a tube for 15 minutes before we walk into the rehearsal room. So there's sort of kind of a physical manifestation of safety that's happening that kind of is in your awareness and consciousness all the time. And when your only desire is to connect, you know, and be intimate um, with people. It's an interesting thing. Um, but then once you kind of start getting into the work and the, and the play starts to take over and your creative psyche starts to show up again, it's, it's like riding a bike. You're coming back to the work. I do think for me in this show, because, and this is the first time this has ever happened. So this is a change. With our work around, you know, breaking down binary thinking, addressing patriarchy and white supremacy, this idea of perfectionism that I think I kind of carried as an artist for a long time. Hmm. Post-COVID, this idea of having a perfect show or analyzing the audience, you know, walk off stage. That was a good audience. That was a bad audience. I think all of that has left the building for me. I now see every performance as a spiritual practice. I go into a deep meditation for 90 minutes with this group. And there is not a good show or a bad show. It just is what it is. I've done my work and I've prepared and I step out. And I really think for actors and performers right now, we're vulnerable. The whole country, the globe is vulnerable and scared and fatigued. And we're being very brave and stepping back out there. And I think my message for myself and for performers everywhere is the fact that you are willing to step out on that stage or in front of that camera or anywhere on that dance floor, whatever it may be, start at the beginning and commit all the way through the end is enough. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know because I'm not there, but I can imagine it must feel on the one hand, like, yay, I'm getting back and I'm being brave. And then what do you mean I have to do these tests? They become the gatekeepers, but then they're also what's allowing you doing these tests is allowing you to do what you want to do. So there's probably like a whole, whole 
really interesting space there of like how you deal with that, right? Because you could easily, you know, be victimized by going, you know, I want to do my work. Why do I, why, why, why? Which just puts a negative spin on, you know, on you going forward in the way that you just suggested you, you want to do. Um, I love that. So that sort of literally living in the moment, right? That literally just trusting the process. Um, and if we're talking about safety, living in the moment is the safest place to be. Indeed. I feel like if in the moment, if you're projecting into the future or fretting about the past, you're unsafe. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a place of turmoil or pain or suffering in the moment is actually the safest. <laughs> it's actually the safest. Well, and good news is it's all we have. Yes. So yay. Yay. <laughs> We're all good. <laughs> let's let's just stay there. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Exactly. That's amazing. I love I do love I do I mean it's been a radical kind of um rehearsal process and and kind of performance experience for me with this new kind of thinking of there is no control. You know, there's only kind of training and preparation. And mm-hmm. then you let go. And I think, I think my whole career, I thought I was doing that, but it isn't until this post pandemic world. And with this show in particular, that I am actually putting it into practice. And I just am loving this. There's so much freedom in this. There's so much ability to get into the moment, not judge yourself, not judge them. You know, if they don't react or respond in the way, or, you know, I'm so tired of the conversation of walking off stage and being like, well, they were a quiet audience and it really was about, you know, or this or that, or, you know, judgment, or they were a great audience. And, you know, we had a great show because they were so great. Yes. Well, there's always an energy exchange always. And it may not be quote unquote, what you want or what you don't want, but it is what it is. So if we take the judgment off of it and just trust that we are connecting on whatever level is meant to be connected in this moment and this day and this night at this time, then we are completely free as performers, I think. Yeah. It's amazing when you kind of have that moment where where it actually realizes itself. And I've never performed in a way where I've literally been standing in the wings and going, let's go out there and see what happens. Mm -hmm. But I've been saying that for years as if I've been doing it. Trust the process. Let's go together. There's no proof. There's no burden of proof. Yeah. That's so hard. I I feel like as a performer too, as you know, I moved to New York when I was 30. So I had already kind of had a professional career in San Francisco and and a lot of regional theater. And then I moved to New York when I was 30. And and I remember really feeling like, wow, like I I, step out on stage and there's a lot of crossed arms, like you're saying, and sort of like prove it. You know, like like a lot of judgment proves that I that I spent my money well and I should be here, mm-hmm. kind of thing, or or for even other artists, you know, coming in and judging, you know. But I remember my, sort of my first encounter with judgment, uh, where I really started understanding who I was and my relationship to judgment. I I grew up in an incredibly judgmental family, um, so I came upon it honestly. And actually, I was working on a different Heidi Shrek play, and the character was obsessed with Pema Chodron. And in my research, you know, I was like, all right, well, who's Pema Chodron? I got to listen to this. And because I was raised Catholic and with a military family and all this, you know, like Buddhism or any kind of other more, you know, spiritual practices were not necessarily a part of my awareness so much. And uh, 
I, I remember I, I like pulled up some YouTube video of Pema Churgeon talking as my research before I went into rehearsal. And I was like, <gasps> what? <laughs> <laughs> and I sat down and, and I got told, I was late to rehearsal because I totally got engrossed. I was like, this is blowing my mind. That started the journey. And one of her challenges is that I, I do practice a lot is, um, Try to walk down three blocks in New York City without passing judgment on anything mm-hmm. or anyone. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, sure. Okay. And then I, I walk from my house to the subway, which is three blocks, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe how ingrained and automatic it is. Yeah. Yeah. Judgment isn't isn't one thing. Like we've codified it as like it's when you say something bad about something. It's also when you say good things because totally because it usually comes from a, a an inner place of comparison. So when you like something, it means usually that you're not threatened by it or that you identify with it because it's like you. You know, there's so many like layers of 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 what judgment is. You know, and and I I think the judgment and bad feelings and negativity and all that are wonderful resources for information and growth. Cause then you're like, Oh, why, why don't I like that? And then yep. you dig in. It, well, it's scary too, because yep. you realize how kind of blind you are, you know, but it's mm-hmm. like, I do think we are really kind of having a reckoning as an industry too, with bias and, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and, and it starts kind of here, right. It's, it's about listening to what you're saying to yourself. What are you thinking? Awareness. Just, just awareness and listening and taking a second to actually kind of listen to yourself. Awareness and curiosity. These are actors tools, right? I mean, this is how we do the work. So if you're scared of something, try getting curious about it. And I used to be terrified of notes, getting notes Mm -hmm. from a director, you know, and feedback, not because I would make me angry, but I would get defensive sometimes or feel like I had to explain you know, well, clearly they don't see what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, it almost becomes a kind of adversarial or fear of critique or something like that. And I just started very gently saying, I'm so curious to see what the feedback is going to be. Yeah. 100%. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Or I'm so grateful that there's an outside eye mm-hmm. because I can't do that and do and work at the same time. Right. I can't really be in it if I'm watching myself. So thank God there's somebody out there watching me that can help me with help me with feedback. Now, listen, not all directors deserve this amount of, (laughs) you know, (laughs) respect and compassion and love. But uh, it's really it's an interesting kind of way to approach these actor tools that we you know, we're going to encounter directors. We're going to encounter fear. We're going to encounter judgment. We're going to encounter blocks. Yep. And and we're not always going to be able to be in the moment. So so how can we do this and open up, be as open as possible and in the moment as possible? That is acting and that's the goal, right? 100%. And it's I really it's really interesting that you said not all directors are deserving of um this this kind of compassion. But it's so interesting that you put it on them. And actually what it is, the compassion and the understanding and the growth and the openness is actually what you give yourself. True. When you when you are open, isn't that interesting though? Like, and we tend to do that. We tend to be givers, like you know, call and response. Yeah. You know, this is what you wanted, right? Am I delivering it for you? Because we because we care, we care that we've been hired. We want to do our jobs. You know, it goes. You go down that rabbit hole. Notes are information for growth. It's the it's it's the you know it's yeah. the it's it's the growth mindset. It's the cool 
what you got for me. Imagine if everyone was just going, oh, yeah, you were great. That was great. Like, how helpful is that? Totally. What are three adjectives that you would use to describe yourself? Um, I think striving or seeking. I feel like I'm in a real uh, place of growth and discovery. So I'm seeking. I am loyal. And I do think I'm, I do, I do think I'm compassionate. I am not an empath, but I am a highly sensitive person in HSP. I tested and I tested off the charts. So Mm. I have a very sensitive neurological system and I can kind of take on other people. I'm not completely an empath, but I can take on a lot of other people's stuff. (laughs) And so I have had to learn compassion and I really feel like that's for myself and for others. I feel like that's a big part of, um, how I would hmm. describe myself right now. What you described is is like the double-edged sword. It's a beautiful thing because you get a lot back from giving. And um but it's also something that if you if you don't if you don't turn it inward, if you don't set boundaries that you then get triggered down to the catabolic resentful victimized tired overwhelmed um you burnout. know bur- burnout. Exactly. And so great that you recognize that. And I'm curious to know like what are you able to to implement in your life that helps you still emanate from an empathetic, compassionate place, but but also also keep enough for yourself? Uh, it's a lot of trial and error. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not always successful. I think it's just about back to curiosity. The big revelation about when I discovered HSP and that I might be one is that not everybody thinks the way you do or feels the way you do. Mm-hmm. So for a long time in my life. I felt like I was confronted with non-thoughtful, narcissistic, selfish people. I didn't understand that they're not thinking about me or thinking about others or thinking about their kids or their coworkers or their whatever because they're selfish. It's just, I'm kind of the opposite extreme. I'm so people-pleasing and, and willing to give to the point of exhaustion that I, I realized that there's only really kind of 20% of the population that does this, that, that thinks that way all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. and um, once I realized that I'm like, Oh, people aren't, you know, being rude or, or not thoughtful. They just truly aren't seeing this social dynamic the way that I'm seeing it. We're not the same. And so once I kind of figured that out, I was like, oh, okay, well then I can now get curious about what they are actually thinking, you know? Mm. And it's like a classic example is like, you know, you're in a conversation with somebody and they have some kind of facial expression or reaction that you read as something and they get up and walk away and you automatically assume it's you because that's how I would think. I'm constantly aware of the other people's feelings and, and their they're contextualizing of what the event we're having. And I always want, you know, the exchange we're having, and I always want to be kind and, you know, all of that. And then you realize, Oh, their facial expression or their thought or their moment is totally disconnected from you. in this, in this exchange that you were having, there's something going on for them that they got up and walked away for themselves. And it has nothing to do with you. It sounds so simple, but it took me so long to really kind of understand this. And that just gives you, that's kind of, to me, the definition of compassion. It's whatever's going on with them is theirs. 
And whatever's going on with you is yours. And you can own it and respond with curiosity and kind of loving kindness about it. And that is also being kind, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. not taking things personally, not judging mm-hmm. it, not getting defensive. Yeah. Compassion is really kind of sets you free from a lot of pain and suffering. Cause I would suffer a lot around exchanges and like social dynamics and kind of social anxiety and feeling like I've, I messed up or I stuck my foot in my mouth or I pissed this person off or this person hurt my feelings because they didn't respond the way I wanted them to respond when I put myself out there. And the truth is, uh, if I can stay inside me, you know, and, and really have compassion for myself when I don't, when I don't respond or do something the way I would have liked, or if I hurt someone's feelings, owning it, acknowledging it. And letting people be, I think it's also grace, right? I think this is, I think this is what I try to do as an audience member too. It's like, you know, we go in and we're like, we didn't get that part and we watch somebody else in that part or, you know, this person's successful and this and that, and then we're going into a show and we might have a little jealousy or a little this or a little whatever around, around that experience. And I just think, you know, like I said earlier, the fact that we're getting out there and we're willing <laughs> to be the vessel for which an audience can have a sense of catharsis because we're going to start at the beginning, we're going to move through the middle and we're going to get to the end, that that is enough, then I have nothing but gratitude and grace for that experience and anybody who's willing to step out there and do it. And that that goes for my personal relationships too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It's lovely. Lovely. What do you know will be true about you no matter what happens? Um. It's funny that you say true. Uh, I think no matter what, I believe in the truth. I think I think there is a true, love-filled, grace-filled reality to every situation. And if you can cut through everything else and get to it and remember it and find it and stay there, I always trust that. So if there's something difficult happening in my life, or I'm confused or disoriented. I always know that there's a true, I'm not going to say right and wrong, but a love filled reality inside of it. Mm. That's a superpower. Mm. I don't want to be a person who is toxically positive, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. um, there is some truth about the darkness and, and, and pain and suffering and all of those things. And again, that's why discernment is so great because judgment, it's, it's binary. Mm-hmm. It's, it's black or white. Good or bad. Discernment, mm-hmm. you can look at something that isn't, it doesn't mean that you're going to look at everything through a rose-colored glass and go, everything's great. Right. There are lots of things that are not great. That's right. But, but when you, you know, and I'm, I'm so on board with you about the toxic positivity thing, especially because I am just inherently a positive person. Someone will call me that. But it doesn't mean that I don't see that I, you know, I, I gloss over or whatever, you know. So, yes, I mean, I think being able to discern what's really going on, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels bad. You have to experience the whole arc of the emotion. And, and uh, you know, so many of us are bottlers. We bottle it up because, mm-hmm. we, because we think we need to, we should we can't handle it, whatever. And, it, you know, it do, on the other hand, it doesn't mean that you have to just go, 
I'm living in my truth and everybody needs to know it. And I'm posting it on Instagram. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? It's like, totally. It's going to come out somewhere. It, it's brilliant that you're an actress because you probably are able to let it come out in different places through other characters, which is kind of cool. I was going to say, I feel like, I feel like toxic positivity. I have some people like this in my life who are not okay. If everything isn't okay. Yeah. And so when pain or suffering or a horrible thing hits their doorstep, the automatic response is to sweep it, sweep it away as fast as possible. There are people who are suffering more than me right now. So I'm not even going to feel this. I'm just going to let this go because I have to be okay. Everything has to be perfect and okay, or I can't be okay. And I think one of the things I've learned kind of later and as an acting tool is you can't sweep that away. It's not about glossing over it. Actually wrapping your arms around it and embracing it and feeling it and sitting in it and processing through it. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to get on the other side of that thing. Cause it's just going to, it's just going to sit out there on your doorstep until you finally freaking open it. Oh, and oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> and then oh, like, yeah. or you get sick. So I feel like that kind of um, being able to access pain is part of the actor's job. And mm-hmm. we're called to do that. That, you know, and almost even kind of demonstrate it and go through it and be witnessed by audiences. There's a witnessing that happens here so that we can chain react and, and they can release some things too, and, or maybe move through pain too. Yeah. And, you know, we volunteer for this. We're crazy. We volunteer. We're like, I'll step up and do that. <laughs> uh, and I do think it's uh, fulfilling in my own life. It's taught me how to kind of roll through and deal with and accept hardship mm-hmm. um, as well as the good and the positive, because if, because we're talking about being in the moment, you know, that's a part of it. It's feeling what it needs to be felt. Yeah. I have to honor you and say, it's a gift what you do as an actor, because there are so many, so many people who cannot feel things and that feel safe when you feel them and they react to you feeling them, even though they're feeling them you've given them a safety because, oh, she made me cry. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that's a gift that that you give. So never forget that. I mean, it's important work. It irks me when I hear that people say actors are selfish people. <laughs> like, I know. I'm I was like, going to say that. I always feel like actors are talked about as if we're narcissists, self-absorbed, people who need to hear the applause because it gives us life kind of thing. And I just, in my experience, actors are so generous. And actually kind of the opposite, yeah. you know, and they don't want to focus on themselves. That's why we play characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm so I want to step into somebody else's shoes and experience something in, a, in an empathetic way, not in a like, well, what would I do in this circumstance? Mm-hmm. Although you bring that, you know, you bring your life to the roles, your, you, your, your true life experience to everything you play. But I just think it's such an interesting kind of generalized character trait that people put on actors. Yeah. And that's what I mean about grace. Like, yeah. let's just, let's just have some grace for the things, you know, actors are willing to do. And it's not just because we want, want to be loved by the public and the masses and we want applause. I mean, for a lot of us, it's about, you know, we're called to some kind of empathetic experience. Yep. Oh, for sure. When we get put in silos like that, I I feel the same way as you do, because I have, I mean, I've met egotistical people 
in in the world. They're not necessarily actors. Some of them may have been actors, but acting is what they do. It's not who they are. It's not like you're an actor. You must be an ego egoist or whatever. I mean, and and I agree with you. My experience has been nothing but some of the most generous, beautiful human beings. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um. So in in uh, in the current in the what the constitution means to me, your character kind of resurrects her teenage self, right? And right. I, I'm so curious to know, like, what you might tell, what Cassie might tell her younger self that maybe she would have really, you know, loved to have known that you know now. Oh, I th- I think the lesson I talked about earlier, if I had known that we don't all <laughs> think the same way mm. and really kind of knew, really kind of understood that, you know, I, I, I mentioned before sort of a kind of military upbringing and there's a lot of hierarchy and kind of, um, specific thinking. <laughs> and it, uh, I was raised in Catholic school, which is also, uh, you know, a doctrine that is very hierarchical and kind of, I'm, I'm hesitating from the word conformist, but I do think there is a sort of like, you get in line and you think a certain way, you know, good, bad. And uh, I think if I had, if, I think if I had grown up with a little more awareness of the gray area in life, mm. um, but you know, I sought it out through through my work, I, I gravitated towards being a performer and, and, uh, I think it's probably my more empathetic nature and curiosity that brought me here. So I found it anyway, but I, but, um, I just wonder how different my life would have been growing up. Totally. What lesson let, let's kind of go, um, let's jump forward. The, what lesson do you think your future self might have for you today? Hmm to get totally woo woo. I, I really am starting to be curious around this idea of a veil Hmm. of the human experience that we, I feel like my future self probably knows something a little bit about can pull the veil a little further than I can currently right now Mm -hmm. around what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And to have this experience, I've lost both my parents uh, in the last two years. And I think through that grief and through this idea of where are they now, you know, and what do they know about mm-hmm. me and my life now? I really find comfort in this idea. And I don't know if this is true, but for me, this idea that now they know all mm. um, and they know how the universe works and they know me in a way and a different and intimate way or my kind of soul in a way that I don't haven't completely discovered my soul yet mm. moving forward. I hope that my future self does, you know, continue to kind of pull the veil away. Cause I do think a lot of this is, you know, human constructs that we exist in these hierarchies and these rules and these laws. And there's a, there's a lot of spiritual selves walking around in some human skin. And I just think, I look forward to getting closer to that. Mm. If that makes any sense at all. (laughs) Oh, 100%. And I mean, it is a bit of a woo-woo question. You know, it's sort of an interesting thing. You can easily, obviously, access where you've been. That's much easier, right? But it's also not real anymore. Right. Just Just as where you're going isn't either. So sometimes just imagining it is kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. You know? Um. How do you want to be remembered? Well, I I hope people remember me as someone who held space and saw them. Mm. I, I would 
I really hope that people feel seen when I'm, I get to spend time with them. Yeah, I understand exactly what you meant. Um, and then my mind went to when you're on the stage and you can't see the audience. Mm -hmm. How does that play into what you just told me about being seen? Mm. Yeah, because I don't think see, see, seeing really means, you know, physically with my eyes. Well, yeah. Seeing means felt. Yeah. Acknowledged and felt. That makes sense. The, the sort of metaphor of the stage, mm-hmm. the access, the sharing, and then what we were talking about earlier, which was like the, you know, you're allowing them the release through you that maybe mm-hmm. they couldn't access. But isn't it interesting that with, with that dark light binary, if you will, of the physical aspect of theater, it's also giving you the reciprocal permission yeah. to connect. Yeah. Super interesting. Oh my gosh. I mean, in this show and what constitution means to me, she talks about this space, um, the penumbra space, mm. which is the, to quote the play, the character says, what is the penumbra? Here I am standing in the light. There you are sitting in the darkness and this space between us, this space of partial illumination, the shadowy space right here. This is a penumbra. We are stuck between what we can see and what we can't. We are trapped in a penumbra. Okay, I'm getting chills because that's exactly what I was sensing. Yeah. And that's the human experience, right? Wow. And that's what I'm talking about. My older self, I feel, is a little out more, is a little farther outside of the penumbra than I am right now and wow. can see a little more of the gray area. Totally. <laughs> that's so, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, is that an actual word or is it a made up word? Penundra, penumbra. No, no penumbra. Um, it's actually what uh, Justice William O. Douglas has used to argue the Ninth Amendment to get uh, abortion rights. Wow. Yeah. I'm, glad I, I'm glad I said it out loud because I was getting this sense of like the light and the dark and the, that space in between there. That's so interesting. Space in between. I'm going to say what makes you and I'm going to say word and then you just say what comes to your mind. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What makes you hungry? <laughs> I watch the Food Network and I I want to eat everything that's on that screen that I see. <laughs> oh my god. Um what makes you what makes you sad? Uh grief. Loss. Mm-hmm. What inspires you? Writers. Especially playwrights, and just feel like talk about you know pulling away the veil, seeing what's really going on. Just mm-hmm. their ability to um, contextualize this experience that we all are all having on the planet. Mm. Incredible. Yeah. Um, what what frustrates you? I'm super impatient, so I get frustrated when I feel like something's taking too long. Or I'm supposed to know something or understand something that I don't know and understand yet, which is odd because I'm process oriented. Mm. I do believe in process and I experience it on a regular basis. And I have faith when we start a rehearsal that we're going to get to the end and it's, you know, but for some reason, I'm kind of in my daily life, I feel like in my civilian life, I feel like uh, I, I'm not great with patience. Mm. Frustrated. Cool. What makes you laugh? 
my dog. What kind of dog do you have? <laughs> she's a rescue from Puerto Rico. So she's a, a Sato, they, they're called, and a mix. We don't know. But uh, she's hilarious and wonderful. That's and awesome. so quirky and funny. That's awesome. What makes you angry? Injustice. Mm. Lack of equality. Doesn't have to be that way. Yep. Um, and finally, what makes you feel grateful? Oh. I I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, it really is every just every new day. Yeah. What are the uh, what are the top three things that happened so far today? <laughs> um, well, my husband was visiting, so I I said goodbye to him this morning, but I but I did get to I did get to see him off, so that was great. Um, I got checked in on by a dear friend um, from the UK, and spending this time with you today. Oh, no, absolutely, it's been so great, really so great to uh, to get to know you. Um, what's something you're looking forward to? Uh, I'm looking forward to the show tonight and and every night and practicing this new kind of found joy I have in the idea of a spiritual practice that I get to go into a 90-minute meditation every night. I just am so looking forward to what that does mm. for for my life, but also for uh, the show and, and other people that we're trying to connect with right now all across the country. Yeah, absolutely. How long will you be touring for? Till April. Wow. Wow. We amazing. Cassie, it's been such a joy speaking with you. I mean it. Same. Thank you so much. No, it's Lovely. my, pl- it's my pleasure. I've been speaking today with Cassie Beck. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Lisa Hopkins. Stay safe and healthy everyone. And remember, to live in the moment. In music, stop time is that beautiful moment where the band is suspended in rhythmic unison, supporting the soloist to express their individuality. In the moment, I encourage you to take that time and create your own rhythm. Until next time, I'm Lisa Hopkins. Thanks for listening.